as we heard pastor say, together our citizenship is in heaven. And that's what Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in the city of Philippi. Our citizenship is in heaven. And now I know that uh, sometimes uh, some might struggle with this idea of togetherness, with unity, uh, as Cameron was talking about earlier, especially in light of what's happening in the Mideast. Arabic nations at war with Israel, yeah, that causes tensions and fears. And, and what does it all mean? What's it, what's it all about? What, what's going on with Israel? Is there anything you know, from a biblical perspective? Does God have a different or a distinct plan for Israel that's different than for me and you? All of us who are not ethnic Jews, does God favor one group with the, uh, to the exclusion of others? Are there tiers? Are there levels in the kingdom of God? There's a lot of questions that swirl around the idea of Christianity and Israel, Israel and the church. And I want to address some of those questions today, and I will... From the, from the jump here, say, I'm not going to answer every single one, because there are a lot. But answers, I will tell you, are here. They're right here. You have a question about it? The answer's here in the Word of God. And we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. I've got quite a bit of the Word of God that we are going to touch on, because we need the context. I don't want to just be lifting one line. So uh, we're going to be reading quite a bit of Scripture. We're going to be uh, first in the book of Ephesians. We've been talking about this church in Ephesus. And we have been encouraged this morning from that letter to the Ephesians. Cameron brought, brought to us Ephesians chapter 4 about are walking with our purpose. We should be eager, eager to pursue unity. Now, I'm going to use a different word today, oneness. We should be eager to pursue oneness, unity. Uh, so we'll be in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 2 and 3. If you want to put bookmarks anywhere else, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Galatians chapter 3. Now before we dive into that, just briefly, a little bit of background so that if maybe you're newer to Christianity, you have just a little insight, uh, a little background as we talk about these things, Israel, and we... Um, read from the letters written by a man named Paul. So a little background. First, Israel. Very briefly, Israel began with a single man called Abraham uh, through whom God built a nation. In Genesis 12, chapter 2, God promised, I will make you into a great nation. Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son, which is now Abraham's grandson, 
called Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. This is where the name comes from. God called him Israel. You've struggled with God and you've prevailed is in general what it means. And it was through Israel and his descendants that God formed a nation that he had promised to Abraham, that your, your descendants would be the numbers of the sand of the sea, the stars in the sky. The people have been called Israelites. They've been called Hebrews and Jews. Jews derives from uh, one of the sons of Israel named Judah. Uh, there, there came the name uh, Jew. And it was uh, throughout the history then of this nation, there were highs and lows. We, we sung today about the mountains and the valleys. They certainly saw them. Their capital city, Jerusalem, and the temple of God was destroyed. It was rebuilt again. The whole city and the temple, it was destroyed again. They know about uh, highs and lows. And what, why did all this destruction come? What, what brought it on? You read the Old Testament, it was disobedience, unbelief, lack of faith. Over and over again, God called the people to faith they didn't believe. It was through Israel that the Hebrew people, the Jews, that God revealed himself. He revealed himself through covenants, through the law, the temple, and the means to atone for sin through sacrifice. And then ultimately through human ancestry to the Messiah, the Savior, who himself would be the final sacrifice for sin, and that's Jesus. Now there, just a very few, uh, very few sentences. That's about 3,000 years of history, the smallest thumbnail sketch of the history of Israel. Now, about this man named Paul, we're gonna read from some of his letters. Uh, who was he? He was first known by his Jewish name, which was Saul, uh, but he became uh, much more well-known as Paul, as he's referenced in the New Testament. He was a Jew, born in the Roman, born as a Roman citizen, however, in the city uh, called Tarsus. Tarsus uh, is on the northeastern Mediterranean. It's about 10 miles inland. It was... Uh, it was an intellectual town, a cultural town. And although Paul was uh, born in Tarsus, he was raised in Jerusalem and he studied under a rabbi called Gamaliel. And Paul wrote this about himself. His words, we'll just use his words about his life. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He also wrote, I persecuted followers of Jesus to death. And he stood watch over a man named Stephen as he was stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus. Now, how would a zealous Pharisee like Paul treat people who weren't Jewish, non-Jews, or what the Bible calls Gentiles, well, they were seen as less than. They were looked down upon. They were not worthy even to be on equal footing with the Jews. So Paul, the, the Pharisee, Hebrew of Hebrews, his word, he considered himself above others. He was a racist. That's what he was. And uh, he terrorized the Christians to death. He was a racist terrorist. 
I give you this background because he changed profoundly because of Jesus Christ. And, and so keep it in mind what he was as we read from some of his letters. And as I said, we're going to begin with the letter to the church in Ephesus. We've talked about Ephesus. Uh, in Ephesus uh, chapter 2, uh, we're going to begin today. We're going to begin at verse number 11. And we're going to go all the way through to chapter 3, verse 6. Paul was reminding the Ephesians here, eternal life is in Christ only by faith, not by works. That's how he started chapter two. It's not how you get to, it's not how you get to eternal life by working, by earning it, but it's by faith. Then verse 11, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that's the Jews, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in the body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Far away, Gentiles, those who were near the Jews. For through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Chapter three, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Let me repeat that line. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. 
members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now I read all of this so you have some great context and you see where the apostle was going. He, Paul reminded the Ephesians who were Gentiles, they were outside of the membership, the citizenship of Israel. They were foreigners. Now, these are some stunning words that come from a former racist terrorist. What did he say? There's no more dividing wall. This was the guy who wanted to build the dividing wall. There is no more dividing wall between Israel and the Gentiles. No more barrier in Christ. The two are made one. This from a man whose life was one of racial superiority. A life of exclusion. No more wall of separation. Two groups are one. Your fellow citizens with, how did he put it? God's people. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Let that sink in. Members together of one body. Sharers together in the promise of eternal life found only in Christ Jesus. Now Paul used some images here to drive his point. The image of a body. What did he say? You're a new humanity. I mean, these are powerful words, especially from a guy who never, before Jesus, didn't want that to happen. You are a new humanity, one body. Then another image, the image of a house. One house, one foundation. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. God's people are comprised of Jew and Gentile, everyone. Me, Pastor Avdal, you, and everyone else who calls on the name of Christ, Jew and Gentile, in Christ, one people, fellow citizens, one house, one foundation. Paul wrote your fellow citizens with God's people. Now, now, when he said God's people, when he wrote that, did he mean, did he mean every single person born a Jew was considered God's people? I mean, was that it? Were the Jews God's people by birthright? They're just born into it. And then the Ephesians, those Gentiles, well, you can come in by faith. Is that what he meant? We, we can find a direct answer to this. Although we know throughout the entire Old Testament, God kept saying, by faith, by faith, you need to believe, you need to believe. God kept how many people from the promised land? Why? Because they did not believe. 40 years they wandered. They weren't coming in because they had not believed. That notwithstanding, we look to the New Testament for a direct answer, is, is God's people by birthright? And we're going to look to Paul's letter to the church in Rome, another group of Gentile believers. In Romans chapter 9, Paul opens uh, lamenting for Israel. He's got a great lament for Israel. He's, he's just pouring out his heart. Now, God had given them the covenants, the law, the temple, the human ancestry to Christ, but he was troubled. Paul was troubled for the Jews because not all of them were considered God's people. And, and he desired for them to be all God's people. 
But they weren't. Why? We read. Let's read uh, Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Uh, after Paul's lament, he wrote, It is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. These are powerful words. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Israel. Paul's saying, hey, this, the promises of God that came through uh, Isaac. But then he wrote this again, another stunning line from, from a guy who had been formerly this, this racist terrorist. He said, not all who descended from Israel are Israel. And if you missed the meaning, if you, if you didn't catch it, he explained he wrote it out plainly. It's not by physical descent. It's not the children by physical descent who are God's children. And Paul used the physical lineage, the idea of Abraham, Isaac, he used that to present a spiritual reality. If you are children of the promise, then you're regarded as being one of Abraham's own family, you are regarded as being Israel. The promise to Abraham was, hey, you're going to have descendants that are just too innumerable to count. And Paul tells us that being a child of that promise does not come by birthright. It does not come by physical descent. You do not have to be in the blood lineage of Israel to be in Israel. I mean, that's a grand thing. And how do you become then this child of promise? You know, you read it and say, well, I want that then. How, how do I get into this, this promise? Paul explained as he continued writing to the Romans. First, he referred back to the Old Testament. He backs up his claim. He said, hey, the prophet Hosea wrote, I will call them my people who are not my people. Paul went back to the Old Testament. He said, hey, listen, this is now being fulfilled. I will call them my people who are not my people, and they will be called children of the living God. That was the prophet Hosea. And how can it be? How can we be children of the living God? Paul wrote, it's by faith. It's by faith. The Gentiles had attained the promise by faith. That's Romans 9.30. He kept explaining into chapter 10. We're going to read verses 9 to 13. More of his explanation. Paul wrote, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, more more lines by the man who had killed Christians. 
and had said, you Gentiles aren't part of God. Stunning. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile, he wrote. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You read the rest of Romans 10, Paul's backing it up again. Four references to the Old Testament, the prophets who are saying the disobedient were lost because they didn't believe. They were disobedient. But God welcomes all who had faith. And Paul kept on explaining. He gives another image. The image of a tree, an olive tree. Paul presented Israel as an olive tree. Now here's another image. Romans 11. Now, so we've been 9, 10, 11. Romans 11, 17 to 20. Paul's introduced this olive tree and he writes, if some of the branches have been broken off, this olive tree that that's, represents Israel, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, again, he's writing to the Gentiles, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. So what's he driving at here? Israel, again, they received the covenants, the law. God revealed himself, the temple, the worship, the sacrifice, the physical lineage to Jesus. And Israel was like this tree, this olive tree. But some of the branches, which were the ethnic Jews, it was, it's clear in the image, they broke off. They fell off. Why? Unbelief. They're not part of the tree. Th their birthright matters no, they're not part of the tree because they don't believe. No faith. The natural branches that do remain, they remain because they believe. They have faith. And Paul kept on writing. And again, astonishing things. You Gentiles, you are a wild tree. But you've been grafted in. You've been grafted in to the one tree the one tree called Israel. And, and then Paul says, don't, don't, don't act superior. Don't become a, a racist like I was. You know, you're part of the one tree. But remember, the, the root is important. What God did is important. The promises he made, that root is important. So remember it supports you. Don't think you support it. And it... And as for the branches that were broken off, Paul continued and he said, they can come, they can be grafted back in. How? By faith. They got to believe. And then he warned the Gentiles, he warned the Roman believers, you too could fall off if you persist in unbelief. In another letter, in another letter that this man wrote, same theme, oneness, same theme. And he wrote very boldly. It was to the church in Galatia. Paul chided them for being foolish. Galatians chapter 3. How foolish you are, you foolish Galatians. You began in the spirit by faith. 
Now what are you doing? Well, you're trying to complete your, your spiritual journey by doing works. No, he said, That's, you've, you've missed it. And he exhorted them, come on back to the faith. Galatians 3, 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. I mean, there it is again. And then Galatians 3, 26 through 29, as, as Paul unfolds this theme, and, and he gets to his summation. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, and this is the line, I love this line. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I have told people this. I am an heir of Abraham. And they looked at me like deer in the headlights. Well, how can you say that? You weren't born a Jew. I said, read this. Come on. I mean, he repeats it over and over again. I am an heir of Abraham, and you are too. If you believe in Christ, you share in those promises. And we are one. Believe, have faith. Remember your baptism. This is what Paul was writing to the, to, to the Galatians. You belong to Christ. You're an heir to Abraham. And there's neither Jew nor Greek. Stunning from this guy that would say in his life before Christ, that never happened. But he, what did he do? He repeated this and he emphasized it in his letters. In his letters to the Philippians, to the Galatians, to the Romans. I can't touch on all of them. But what was he saying? Blood lineage is not what makes you part of God's people. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. You are all one. We need to grab a hold of that. We need to take that in. He presented those images. A tree. A tree with one root. The root of God's promises. A house. One house. One foundation. Christ. Peter the apostle used that exact same image. The image of the house. And, and, and Christ is the foundation. And he said it's one house, one people. And Peter also appealed to Hosea. I'll call those who are not a people my people. And I want to share with you just very briefly a few more images presented in the New Testament. Let me give you the words of Jesus. Jesus, John chapter 10. Yeah, John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And and John, the follower of Jesus, recorded this. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for, for the sheep. And, and in John 10, 16, the words of Jesus, he said, I have other sheep. I have other sheep, he said, that are not of this sheep pen. I have other sheep. They're outside of Israel. He's, the, the, the one sheep pen he's talking about is Israel, the Jews. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd, not two flocks. There isn't a, two, a, a, a two-tiered system here, not Israel and the church. There's one flock. We need to reconcile that. We need to understand that. One flock flock one good shepherd 
Jesus taught Jews and Gentiles will compose one great flock under him, the chief shepherd, it says in John 10, the good shepherd. Another image, one bride, one husband. Revelation 21 presents an image of a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. What is the bride called? His people. And we're told the bride is the wife of the lamb. Who's the lamb? But Jesus. And Jesus is the husband. There's one bride, the church, and one husband, Jesus. And let me just say, God's not a bigamist. Jesus isn't going to be marrying two wives. There's not two brides. One bride, one husband. Another image, one church, one high priest. Jesus is the high priest over his church. Hebrews chapter 4 and 5 tells us that Jesus is the great high priest in an everlasting order. In an everlasting order. And he's ascended to heaven as the great high priest to mediate for his people who are one. And how does it refer to his people? Those who obey him. Again, it's by faith. Another image, one kingdom, one king. Who's the king? King Jesus. When Jesus was asked if he were a king by the Roman governor Pilate, how did he respond? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't say my kingdoms. No, one kingdom. There's one kingdom of God, and there's one king. King Jesus and Revelation 17 and uh, Revelation 19 refer of him as the king of kings. There's one covenant and one mediator. Hebrews 8 tells us Jesus is the mediator of a new and everlasting covenant. How? By his blood. By his blood, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood of Jesus was poured out for all, not a particular group. He died for all. He's the mediator of a new covenant. And Hebrews chapter 8 closes with these words, by calling this covenant new, Jesus has made the first one obsolete. One covenant, one mediator. And then I I just roll back to the first image, one body. One body with one head. You know, and that's Jesus Christ. That image is presented in Romans chapter 12, Colossians chapter 1. One body with many members with Jesus Christ as the head. And that body image was also used in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapters 2 and 3. He said, a new humanity, one body. Now, some say what I am telling you, what I am preaching right now is called replacement theology. It's a theology that disrespects and puts down the people of Israel. And I I, I just don't subscribe to uh, labels and such. But I'm going to tell you, this is the word of God. All right, all I'm trying to do is preach the word of God. The word of God from the prophets in the Old Testament to the word of Jesus in the Gospels, all the way through to the final book, Revelation, God's word relentlessly presents oneness, oneness of his people, not two peoples, not two tears. There is oneness, one tree, one root, one house, 
One foundation, that's Christ. One flock, one shepherd over the flock, Jesus. One church, one high priest over it all, the mediator, Jesus Christ. One kingdom and one king, the king of kings. One bride and one husband, Jesus, the bridegroom. One covenant and one mediator, Jesus, who gave his blood to be the mediator of the covenant. And one body, one head over all, Jesus. I mean, it's over and over and over and over again. And how is it possible? How is it possible for anyone to become a part of the one tree, the, the one house, the one flock, etc., the, the one covenant? It's made possible. Paul wrote it, Ephesians chapter 2, and multiple times in other places, by the blood of Christ, through the cross. He wrote in Ephesians 2, through the cross. Jesus made it possible by giving his life. Now, that's not something insignificant, He gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for sin for all. A sacrifice for the sin of the world, making it possible for every single person to receive forgiveness, to drop their their guilt and their shame and to be free of it and have everlasting life in the one flock. He made it possible. It is possible for any and all to be a part of God's people. But I gotta say, there's only one way to enter One way to enter the flock, the house, be part of the covenant, one way by faith, believing that Jesus opened the way. That's it. Is Israel God's people? Only by faith. By faith, I'm a seed of Abraham. Thank you, Jesus. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Anyone who believes on him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses those who call on him. Every individual, every single person who desires to be one of God's people must call on the name of Jesus. No one is God's people by natural birth. It's only by faith in Jesus that's over and over and over again. Remember what Paul wrote. Do not consider yourself to be superior though. You're not, you don't support the root the root supports you. It's, it's all people, and, and, and we need to, we never need to say, well, you can't be part of this, or I'm better than you because I am. You know, so has God done with Israel? No, of course not. No, he patiently waits. He suffers none to be lost. He desires all to turn to Jesus Christ with a sincere heart of repentance. Should we pray for Israel? Absolutely, yes, of course. Let's pray. Pray for every single person who needs to turn to Jesus Christ by faith because Jesus is the one and only way to be in the kingdom. And so we're gonna close. Let's close and celebrate that. Let's close and celebrate our oneness. Let's celebrate. We're all from different places. We're all from different ethnicities. We're all from different uh, countries and places of birth but you know we have a common union we have a common union our faith in Jesus and let's celebrate that common union as we sit down at the Lord's table and share the Lord's suffer, supper and, and remember it's only by the blood only by the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus read through some of these, these scriptures and and, and read them thoroughly. It's by the blood sacrifice 
through the cross of Christ. That's the way to eternal life for everyone and anyone. So our communion's open to all who are in Christ. Um, you, uh, you, I just ask, you wouldn't have uh, someone who's maybe too young to understand. We don't want to put anything on them. Prepare your bread and hold it. We're going to bless it together. But first, we're just going to remind ourselves of what the apostle Paul, again, this guy who changed so dramatically, his heart was, his heart was truly, truly changed for Christ. He wrote these words to the church in Corinth, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. He's writing this to a church that was fighting about this, by the way. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. We don't want that. So he gives us advice. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. We should discern the body of Christ. This is the, the blood of the covenant. He shed his blood for all, for, for every single person. Let's look inside as we're called to do here and examine our own hearts. If there's anything in us, even what Paul wrote about, like superiority. If, if, if we've ever had an attitude of we're a better person, a better Christian, somebody's not worthy of what we have, any of that. Let's, this is our opportunity, great opportunity to examine ourselves before we eat the bread and drink from the cup. Let's do that sincerely for a couple of minutes. Now, Lord, bless your people. God, I just ask that the rich word that you've given us would penetrate every heart. Lord, for any question we have, we seek your word. There's answers there, God, and we pray pray that we, we would receive the truth. You'd give us wisdom and understanding. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. And raise your hands for the blessing. Lord, bless your people. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. Be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon each one and grant them peace. And may the peace of God that passes our understanding keep every heart in mind and soul through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Go with that blessing.